Uh, hey, guys, welcome to... hey guys, welcome to One Step Closer to Madness. I'm Terry Koenig, and uh, with me, I guess, forever since he won't go away from the last network, Mr. Uh, Kevin Malone. What's up, man? Not much, man. I'm, I, I kind of consider myself more like herpes. I fade from now and then, but I always come back with a vengeance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Great to be a little, here. Not, a, little, a little itchy or bitchy, whichever, but yes. <laughs> but uh, well, I was thinking more of pus filled blisters, but that's just me. <laughs> we don't want to talk about blisters right now. I'm half dead. <laughs> anyway. I know. I'm sorry, bud. Uh, but anyway. See, we guys, we love you guys here. I'm doing a show half covered, head to toe, in like some kind of plague. Kevin's old and just feels grumpy as usual. And but at least our guest is here, Mr. Uh, Stephen Lancaster. What's up, man? Yeah, I'm here and I'm blister free. <laughs> How's it going, brother? <laughs> <laughs> it's going, man. I'm good. Hey, let's let's also uh, announce that you know uh, we're on the new network now. One step closer to madness, and um, we have Mr. Lancaster on board. Is a person who's doing shows on our network, and it's you know, if you got a network and you got Stephen Lancaster on it, it's pretty fun, cool. I'm excited about well, it, man. It's, it's been a send me long my check time. tomorrow, brother. Okay, I want my check and my autograph books. All right. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time, man. You know, I, I think these yeah. things go through cycles. There's a time to do it, and there's a time not to, and um, you know, like there's a time to do a sequel and a time not to, and I think now's the time. It just it just feels right to do it. Well, it's not just that. But, I mean, okay, uh, hang on a second, Terry. You know, you, yes, we're sir. not going to talk over each other, right? I spoke first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, um, I don't know if you uh, – well, you and I talked on the phone not too long ago, Stephen, and yep. um, we were talking about when, you know, when I had uh, Mr. Rob Demarest on my show, and, and this like, you know, over a year ago, and he was saying that the paranormal on TV was dead because at that time basically all there was, you know, other than uh, Mr. B on uh, Travel Channel, everything was on uh, Destination America. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed the big blow up lately. I mean, we got Ghost Hunters back on. It's on A and E now. We got Ghost Nation with Jason Hawes on on Travel, and it uh, seems to me like kind of like you just said. You know, it's it's blowing up again. That's not why we're here, but it is. But you're right. You know, and and people talk, and and I heard that behind the scenes a year ago when we were up in Virginia filming filming for the Travel Channel. And they were, you know, the producers behind the scenes, hey, what ideas do you got? What, what do you think about this? And I, I'm wondering why they're asking me all these things. And they tell me, look, everything's about to go paranormal again. The travel channel's wanting to go all paranormal. You know, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened, you know. And it, it'll go through its cycle again, and people will get bored with it, and there'll be the few that remain, you know, just like mm-hmm. when a bunch of bands come out. There are a few that keep going and keep putting out sure, records, sure. and then – It'll die off, and then it'll come back in a way because there's new babies born every day, you know. So well, let me ask them. Yeah. People, some people are seeing this stuff for the first time, just like a classic rock song that we've heard five thousand times. Somebody sure. today is just hearing it for the first time. Well, let me ask you something, right. Stephen. I mean, you know, for, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show, um, I have a theory. 
about why. Uh, I thought it'd be good. Because usually, like, you know, we always know that. Par- <laughs> I was going to say that. Shut the hell up, Canadian. <laughs> Both of you shut up. <laughs> no. But, you know, we know everything runs in cycles, right? Like right now, you know, in fashion, you know, there's a big 70s thing coming back. You know, everything kind of, everything comes back around one way or another. But usually it takes several years. But it seems like this time around, the paranormal came back. I mean, it hadn't totally gone away yet, but now it's like booming again. And I wanted to run this by you, brother. I'm thinking that maybe it's because there's so much weird shit going on in the world right now. You know, I mean, from UFOs to Sam Squatches and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, everybody's got a, a digital camera in their pocket, their damn cell phone. Right. So we're seeing more and more stuff that, you know, I mean, whether it's something that, you know, we can easily explain through science or, or whatever – it just seems like there's all this weird weather patterns and, and just everything. And maybe that's – my theory is maybe that's making people kind of look to the paranormal a little more like, oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe maybe you ain't well, just dead when you're dead. You know, there's something else going on. I, I think a lot of it has – that's part of it, you know, that with technology the way it is and – you know, there's there's bound, I mean, especially with the internet. Imagine what thirty years ago, you oh, didn't yeah. have this paranormal uproar because there was no internet for there to be an uproar, and people uploading all their videos and showing all this stuff. You know, sure. but back then it wasn't as accepted either. Now we're in a world where everything is is trying to be accepted. Okay, and or will make it's you accept it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, thirty. 30, 40 years ago, if somebody wanted like, – like when I first started investigating and I would take cases, these people, these clients would be adamant, you know, please don't tell anybody about this. Don't share my story. They didn't want anybody else to know because of the way people viewed people like that. You know, like they were crazy if they sure. thought there was a ghost or this, that, or the other thing. Now everybody and their brother has a paranormal story to tell, and they're going to tell it, you know, one way or another. Yep. You know, and then that's that's one piece of it. Then the other piece of it is the exact same thing that happens to any industry. And I know you know where I'm going with this. They found mm-hmm. out you can make a ton of money doing it. Fuck yeah. That's what it boils down to. These networks, something as big as a travel channel, wouldn't be putting paranormal 24/7 if it wasn't making a lot of money. It, it sure. could be, you could see a trend next year about. Pink flip flops, and everybody wanting to know all about it. And if if it makes money, the Travel Channel is going to make shows about it. True. It's not about sure. what they want; it's about what makes money. Which reminds me, Terry, uh, we're on a new network now. Can I mm-hmm. say fuck? Okay. Yes. Fuck yeah. <laughs> now shut up, Kevin. <laughs> Let's get to the main point of the interview here, Mr. Malone. You and your yes, went on about you want. I got nightmares now. You said fashion and. Trends and I'm just thinking of a Kevin Malone fucking fashion podcast. Scare the hell out of everybody. But uh, I'm a modern guy, (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Lancaster, sir. um, We have you on today to kind of scare the crap out of some people and tell us one of uh, one of your legendary stories about a very uh, interesting case you got you guys did a while back. Uh, Before we get into the story, though, do you want to tell us a bit about the crew and it's history leading up to this case at the plantation. Yeah, uh, it is probably the most most memorable case 
And I can probably honestly say I'll probably never come across anything like it again. Um, but I started investigating in 1997, and then 10 years later, in about 2007, I decided to start assembling a group of people because cases were getting bigger, you know, not only like mm. the amount of them, but the grandeur of them, you know, where you need eight people on a battleship, you know what I mean, to cover the ground and stuff like that. So I built a team and called the pit crew. It was actually just called the pit paranormal investigation team, but the internet dubbed it the pit crew. So it just kind of stuck. Um, even though it makes no sense to say paranormal investigation team crew, that makes no sense. <laughs> but, uh, I always laugh at that, but um, I, I would say about 2000, and, and you know, all of the investigators were free to do whatever they want. They all scouted their own thing, and if they came across something that was wicked, you know, something that uh, really needed the attention of the entire team, we all got together and we took the case, and uh, that was exactly what happened with the plantation. You know, it was 2010, 2011, somewhere around in there. Uh, my now wife had taken a case up in St. Paul's that involved this old uh, plantation house, 80, 90 acres of just basically no man's land. You know, it was a, it was a former, you know, operational plantation, but no longer, you know what I mean? It was just sitting there rotting basically. And uh, somebody came along, bought the property and, you know, as history taught us, they started experiencing things. They got a hold of Christina and she assembled a couple people and they started investigating the location. Well, the place um, started producing more and more and more every time they went. So she finally brought it up to the rest of us. And uh, it, of course, got our attention. And uh, long story short, it became our obsession. This place, still to this day, um, aside from like, like the Brentwood Wine Bistro, for instance, you know, every time you go in there, you're going to experience something. That's hands down the truth. But this place, every time you go in there, you're going to experience something and be lucky if you even walk away from it. You know, it, it's just one extreme to the other kind of thing. And we were there. We were going every week, every other week for days at a time. There wasn't power. There wasn't water. You know, we we were in 115 to 120 degree heat index of the summer to, you know, negative digits in the winter. You know, just so we can investigate this place year round, and then that's and you, and it just went on for a year, year and a half. And you guys were. And on, it's funny uh, because. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say you guys were on the old network back then. I remember every time you guys came back, you were Jones, and like you had a like you were on a high there of how much stuff you you had come across and done each time you went there. It was it was you were pretty excited every time you came back. It was it was insane because it that case I like I like to talk about because it's a perfect example of just about everything, you know. Where you take a case, and the shows, the TV shows, like to make you think you can solve it in six hours and a night. Oh, this place is haunted, or this place isn't haunted. Then they go on to the next. You know, this is a perfect example of it was over a year's worth of work at this one location, and another example of. Where when you first start it, you think you're dealing with one thing, but then it turns out to be something else and leads you another direction. Then it turns out to be something else and leads you another direction, which just goes to prove that whatever case you take, you may think you're dealing with a little child, for instance. But 
you're only dealing with whatever that entity is portraying itself as. And that is exactly what happened in the case of the plantation. It lured us all in um, thinking we were dealing with an, uh, like an 11-year-old boy. And once we were all hooked, we were all there, it unleashed violently. I mean, I'm talking – I mean, you guys know Alan. You know, he's a hefty boy. Yeah. You know, taking him, other investigators, picking him up and throwing him against the wall, you know, putting me down a flight of steps. Um, I saw the footage of Alan. You sent that to me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this case, and I will forever keep this footage. You know, we, we don't put it out there very often, but, um, you know, Christina wrote an entire book on the case. I put a couple chapters of it in one of my books, and every time I try to get away from it, I end up coming back to it in some way, whether somebody asks about it or somebody wants to talk about it on the podcast or the radio. Because it is Not to interrupt you, brother, but case. is that a published book? Oh, yeah. The one that oh, Christina yeah. wrote? Well, yep, why don't I know is. about this? I thought, I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, tell us how we can get the name of the book and how we can get it. We need to uh, know. Hers is, called, hers is called Just Believe, and the easiest place is Amazon. And, and okay, what's interesting okay. about it is that's her take from day one. Because like I said, she took the case initially. So her mm-hmm. entire book is about that case from beginning to end, whereas what I wrote about in mine was just two chapters of what I considered the two biggest events that took place, you know, the, the two craziest things, the two craziest nights, whatever you want to call it, um, without having to go into a whole book on it. But yeah. It, it's a case that constantly needs reference, and it's still to this day the only case that has given all of us involved the best footage in favor of the paranormal. I, you know, I, I, no, I, I, I agree, the, dude. You know, aside from the personal attacks, okay, it's one thing to be walking up a flight of steps and, and then feel this magnetic force hit you in the face like a fist and knock you down the steps, okay? That's one thing because you're going to tell that story, and that's really all you have is your personal encounter mm-hmm. with that. It's another thing to have a $30,000 thermal imaging camera and have things pop up on this that you cannot explain away. Now, there are two pieces of footage from that thermal camera. It gives me chills just retelling it. One, we're, we're out in, in the old soybean fields, okay? This is pitch black at night. Me and a couple other investigators, I'm running the thermal camera. One of our little devices is called a magnetic pickup, and this picks up uh, inaudible sounds, you know, sounds you can't hear with, with your ears. And we, we were hearing this rhythm, like a, like a heart beating, okay? And it was only coming from out in that field. And I bring up the thermal camera, and across the field, maybe the length of a football field, there are five figures standing in that middle, middle of the field across from us giving off heat and these were humanoid figures and then you would look with your naked eye or you'd look through one of the other cameras and there's nothing there and I can remember me and Alan staring at this thermal camera like what the hell you know we're not mm. seeing anything with our naked eye but this thermal camera is showing us five people standing there that aren't there now the best piece of footage actually involved me and Christina. We, we were up in the attic of this place. This place was like three stories, right? Wicked-looking attic. 
and it's old. It was like 1840s, built around there, somewhere around in there. And the attic itself was wide open, but you could actually have access behind the walls. So you could walk across the rafters, okay? Well, I set up that, that thermal camera to shoot across the whole attic. And on both ends of the attic are two windows, okay? So I'm just saying this so you visualize the area. Me and Christina go inside the wall, and we're sitting on one of the rafters, and we're doing a communication session. And I'll never forget this. This is one of the things I did put in my book. We're sitting there, and I'm staring down these rafters all the way to the other end, and the blackness just starts to move, okay? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, my eyes are playing tricks on me. And I'm, I'm like, Christina, are you seeing this too? You know, because it looks like something's back there moving. You know what I mean? And we're talking, continuing the communication session. Then all of a sudden we're like, oh, shit. And it moved. It moved enough to where you knew, like, something was down there and moved, okay? There was no denying it. Yeah. Well, okay, we're like, all right. You know, we're excited about that. And we come, come down out of there. Well, the next morning it hits me that that thermal camera was running in the attic the entire time. So we get that thing and we pull it up. And we start watching it, okay? And you see me and Tina go behind the wall. You can hear us from behind the wall doing the communication session. You hear everything I just said, okay? All the way up to right. the oh shit, right? <laughs> well, right up, right up until that oh shit, okay? Now picture your, yourself looking straight ahead across this attic, and you see two window panes. Mm-hmm. The first window pane on your right, all of a sudden this bluish, greenish kind of sphere appears in the first window and we're like what in the world and then as then as it's moving it disappears like it's behind the wall in other words then it pops up in the second window pane in its full body it looks like a person like hunched over kind of carrying a sack you know just picture Santa Claus for or an old like uh slave working the fields or something carrying a potato sack um okay. but it started on the right as a bluish sphere like size of a basketball by the time it gets to the other side, it's full body. And then it crosses through that wall, and that's when you hear me say, oh, shit. That's when our eyes made contact with it. So everything was perfect timing. And you look at this piece of thermal footage, there is no denying it. And it didn't hit me at first. Okay, now I explained the attic, okay? You're looking straight ahead. You've got a window pane on your right, window pane on your left, maybe 16 feet in between the bluish sphere appears in the first one, and then as it's moving, it, it disappears from the window, okay? You got 16 feet, then it appears in the next window full body. Why didn't we see it cross the entire room on the thermal camera? Because it oh, was yeah. outside. It was outside three stories in the air. Even if it was something of flesh and blood, okay, even if it was something of flesh and blood, it was three stories in the air. <laughs> so it's it's remarkable, man, and that, that's just a piece of footage I've kept on a flash drive and I will keep for the rest of my life because that, aside from the, the figures out in the field, you know, um, that was something that just worked with us there. We were right there. Tina and I were sitting there communicating and this thing was right there the whole time. Hmm. Um that's, that's pretty it, remarkable. 
Yeah. Was there ever like a balcony out there at one point in history where it could have been like you're seeing nope. someone walking by from back in the day? Hmm. Nope, nope. The only Weird. thing that touches that side of, of the house are just big trees. Big trees, that's it. You know, and hmm. I mean, we could talk all week long, eight hours a day on this case, and I and never fill you in on everything that we experienced. It's just like I said, it lured us in thinking we're, we're dealing with a child who, because there was a story of a boy named Jimmy who had drowned in a pond on the property, and that's what we were going by. And we found the pond way, way back in the woods. And, uh, you know, we, that's what we were going with. We, cause, because all the activity was very um, benign, very playful, you know, rolling balls across the, the floor, you know, nothing violent. And then it shifted to violence, you know, where, like I said, people are getting thrown, people are getting knocked down steps, people are getting bruises. The, you know, the women investigators are waking up with bruises in between their thighs and having no idea why they were there, you know. And but isn't that, isn't that part of uh, the mythos, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, uh, especially in the paranormal, you know, you, you have those two camps when you're dealing with supposed or alleged child spirits that, you know, I mean, there's some people believe it, you know, might actually be a child, but then you got the other people believe that, you know, there's no way a child be, you know, and you know, that demons or inhumans, whatever you want to call them, um, can masquerade as children in order to draw you in, as you spoke of earlier. Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, what it was, that's up for debate. You know, you had half of us, Throwing that word sure. around, you know, the demon word. It's a demon. You know, where me, you know, evil is evil. If you're an evil person in in real life, you know, if you're that rapist or that murderer, guess what you're going to be in the afterlife? Probably sure. the same. I believe that too. You know, but, but yeah. worse because you've got attributes we don't have. You know, this was a perfect case to constantly reference because of, you know, what you were just saying. You know, as this progressed, this entity – not only could appear as a little boy, but appear as creatures, like things that literally our investigators shot at point blank in the woods and didn't hit a thing. You know what I mean? I saw making that you believe. Yes, making you believe that something's there. You know, because there was, but you couldn't harm it. Um, mimicking us to the T, you know, our voices. Um, that happened numerous times. Where, where you would be up in the attic, let's say, doing a communication session, and instead of it being like an EVP where you would hear the voice after the fact, um, you would hear it right then and there, but it would be in the voice of one of your colleagues. And then you'd look out, at the, out the window and you'd see the person's voice, you know, the person you just heard way off in the distance, like, well, there's no way they're in this house, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and we had just about every uh, investigator experience that. You know, this thing would say our names. Um, it was very self-aware. It was very intelligent. And aside from the supernatural aspect, aside from um, the darkness that, that that brought, there was also the darkness that came over all of us. Because this broke up my team. It broke the whole team up. Everybody, the more time we spent it there, the more everybody started acting different, started being negative. Um, it was like the place started rubbing off on all of us. 
And uh, it took a toll. You know, we had people quit. People go their separate ways. Um, you know, eventually we all made up. You know, what some of us made up. Um, you know, so it was more than just, hey, go in here, bells and whistles with your EMF and this and that. It, it was a personal experience, too, because it affected us beyond that place. You know. That's what I was going to bring me. up. And and I want to get into well, it. I mean, I'm waiting to get delayed, but things that happened afterwards, too. You know, but I mean, we still, it, we're still telling the story. So oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you know, interrupt you, brother, but no, no, we, well, I, that's the direction I was going because we, we all had experiences like that. Um, I, you know, I can't remember them verbatim, but I, I can remember Christina telling us that she would get home after one of our three day stints there and start experiencing things in her house. You know, um, at one point I was living with Alan, him and I were living together and we started having things happen at, at his apartment. You know, and the other investigators were reporting these things, things that never happened in their house before all of a sudden were. And you guys have probably heard me describe it like this before, but I believe in what's called spiritual magnetism. And it's the same concept as when you take a paperclip and you rub it vigorously on a magnet. Temporarily, that paperclip becomes magnetic and can pick up other paperclips then eventually it wears off, right? Well, I feel the same way because there was no team, I don't care who they are, that was as active as the pit crew was. We lived paranormal research every day. I agree with that. You know, we would take these cases, and, yeah, we were working the plantation case for a year and a half, but we were also on other cases too. So when we would leave there, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. So we were constantly – in areas where there was supernatural activity, where there was paranormal occurrences. So we were constantly um, exposed to this, you know. So, so it's, it's not that hard to believe that when you would leave, you're still energized from it and could bring the essence of what was there with you, and eventually it wear off. But the thing is we never gave it time to because we'd go right back and almost refuel it- and it, it Do you just think that's so... – sorry, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, no, do you think ahead. that the team – do you think that the team – bad way to describe it, but the only way I can think of – do you think the team OD'd on the paranormal a little bit between that – at the end with that case and everything else going on because of the darkness that's there? A, that's certainly an interesting way to put it um, because it, we, we're all very intelligent people. You know, we've all got our our niche. You know, that's what made the pit crew what it was. Everybody came to the table with something the other didn't have. Um, And we talked about it. We discussed it. We knew what was happening. And it was like being that drug addict, you know, where, you know, we got to stop this for a little bit, guys. I, I remember saying that numerous times. Let's walk away from it for a few months, come back, see where it's at, you know, see what's going on. But it didn't work. It didn't work. It was like that drug that you just had to keep having and it eventually just I mean it changed people's personalities to where you're like dude I'm not even talking to the same guy you know mm-hmm. just actions and like I said it broke the team up that was for all intents and purposes the end of my team and you know here and there throughout the years since a few of us have gotten back together and done a few things you know we did that documentary at the Brentwood um, but the only person that was involved with the plantation 
that did the documentary at the Brentwood was, was Christina. You know, Eddie and Kevin, right. who came to do the Brentwood thing, had no involvement at the plantation. So, <laughs> and either look at Alan, you know, he, he took off and that was it. You know, no more. And, and the rest of them, yeah. pretty much the same thing. So it, it's... It was crazy. It was crazy. It's an eye opener. You guys afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it's an eye opener. You guys went through, yeah. Because you you look at, you know, we we would try not to take it for granted the um, resources we had, the luxuries we had, of places we could investigate because of who we were. You know, at, at at the pit crew's peak, we were highly respected, and and we were we were being sought out. You know what I mean? So we were taking mm. all these cases, but nothing was, dare I say, ghost adventurers worthy. You know what I'm saying? That they were just benign cases where you were seeing cool things, you were communicating, you were getting good evidence for the field of research. You know, they they were fun, and, and at the same time, you you were bettering your research and, and collecting data and blah, blah blah. Then along comes the plantation that throws us all in a pit of snakes. And say, like, holy crap, you know, we couldn't give it up because we knew what we had there, you know, and that, that was the most difficult part. Like, you know, this is a once in, I, we, I remember me and Alan having this conversation probably 200 times, you know, how we could go through our whole life and never have a chance like this again. This place is off the hook. We've got to be here. We've got to do this. We've got to document as much as possible because what are the chances? This isn't TV where every other episode is supposedly like that. You know, this yeah. is real life. So, when we did, we we all took advantage of it, man, for a good year and a half. And, now, and some of the things that happened afterwards, like you say, it broke up the team and such. Do you go as far as to? blame that case for like health issues or like relationships that broke up or anything else like that or just breaking up the team do you think it stuck on car wrecks car wrecks i think it would streak of bad or i think it would be hard to to prove that um but not Mm. hard to believe that that's possible um you know, I'm not going to start mentioning names or anything, but yeah, yeah, no names. There were many, there were many no, people either. on the team who who were in relationships, and they all crumbled. Every one of them. You know, I got divorced. The next person I got with that crumbled. Um, Christina, the same situation. Alan, same situation. You know, and, and but and and you and Alan both had serious car wrecks. Dude. Right. Alan gets in a car Think wreck. I flip a car seven times down the highway. We're both told we should have never walked away from our accidents, but we did. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a whole string of that. It was that magnetism. It's like we could it's like Hotel California. We could check out any time we like, but we're never going to leave. You know, the plan is going to be with us. <laughs> you know, there, there was a – Sorry. <laughs> there, it, the first thing came to mind. There was a – there, there was a – not so much with me anymore. I think I'm at peace with it, but there, there was yeah. a, certainly a PTSD um, that affected us all, and may, maybe still does for some people. And, and I certainly don't hold that against anybody. You know, I, I don't hold it against Alan moving away, you know, and doing what he's doing, you know. I don't – anything that that place did, you just – 
we knew what we were doing. We knew we were making a sacrifice, and we knew we would never come out of it the same. So we have nobody to blame but ourselves. And it's, like I said, still to this day, anywhere I'm at, Terry, anywhere, if I do a book signing for a new book, somebody asks that damn question. Where can I see the stuff on the plantation? You wrote about it in here. Did that really happen? It always goes back to the plantation. I did um, Coast to Coast AM not too long ago for one of my books. And I'm supposed to be talking about a haunted doll this episode, and it eventually goes into the plantation thing. You know, everybody yeah. just knows that that was the case, man. It, it's because it was, like I said, it was at the peak of what we were doing in the field of paranormal research. So it had a lot of attention. It really did. And, you know, we, we, the first half of it, when we thought it was a little boy and we were getting all this amazing stuff, you probably know, Terry, we, we thought, Hey, let's do a documentary on this. Yeah. So I remember I, I went, I rent all this equipment, man. Get all this stuff, lighting, all this stuff to shoot interviews. We shoot what was going to be called Jimmy's Secret about the little boy we thought we were studying. Okay? And then as we're there filming for the documentary, the shit starts to turn dark. I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe we're jumping the gun on this documentary. We're going to lead people in the wrong direction. So we put a hold on it, and that's when everything went violent. And we're like, okay, now let's do it the documentary and show people this amazing thermal footage, show people the, the gunfights in the woods, you know, show people the, the investigators being attacked, you know, the blood, the sweat, the tears, everything that we've experienced, you know, being out here with no power, no water, dehydrating, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't just the ghost. It wasn't just the ghost yeah. to be concerned about. So we started that documentary, got it all done. Then the, the owner, the client, who was absolutely for us 100%, constantly, he did a 180 and became somebody else. She didn't want any of it released. She didn't want people seeing it. She didn't want anybody to know about it, you know. So we, you know, of course, had to respect her wishes, you know. And we're like, damn, you know, we filmed all this stuff. It's the most amazing case any of us have ever worked in our lifetime, and we can't put it out there. Although there's bits and pieces here and there across the internet, and like, I know Kevin, mm-hmm. you've seen some of it. Um, and it's yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, stuff. man. Um, well, that's what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, do something. You know, you did, you you did. I was trying to be nice and let you talk, bitch. Shut up, Terry. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I you know there was some stuff that was released through Monster Vision. You know, uh, definitely promos for when the the DVD was hopefully was going to come out. And I, I, you know, I know there was issues with the owner and then there were some issues among members of the pit crew. We're not going to name names and all that kind of crap, get in legalities. But, yeah. I mean, there was some stuff that you showed me that, you know, people that were just watching like Monster Vision on YouTube didn't get to see. And, yeah. um that's why this this case just blows my mind because I saw this stuff, and it's like, okay, dude, this this ain't Bagans, you know, with the fake SB7 and, well, allegedly, fake SB7, you whatever, go. you know. <laughs> but um, nah, you know, whatever, legalities. But uh, I mean, with the owner on the outs, I mean, is there any chance that we're ever going to go to see the stuff that I got to see, the stuff that, 
you know, only further sealed my, my belief in you as a, as a the genuine article, a real paranormal investigator, and an honest dude. You know, that, that guy watched you on, on YouTube all those years ago. <laughs> yep, right. You were the very first comment, buddy. Um, yeah, I was. Who is this guy? <laughs> it blew my mind, dude. <laughs> Who's this? But, uh, that, you know. Yeah, it was back in we 2007. But yep. you know, I, I can't say for sure. I mean, that's why I've kept it all. You know, I've kept it all because you never know. And And the thing about it is legally, if I wanted to, I could put it all out. I could have put that documentary out because we had express permission. We had the document signed. We had the owner on camera in an interview, you know, stating she was for all this, yeah. blah, blah. That's but true. I forgot about that. To, yeah, it just comes down to what's right. That's not what she wanted in the end, you know, mm-hmm. so let's – But we had such a good reputation. Let's not tarnish it because all it takes is one time. And then she tells everybody, look, man, if you don't want your, your stuff out, don't put it out anyway. That's what it would turn into. Sure. You know, True. but who who knows, man? Who knows? I mean, Christina's wrote about it. I've wrote about it. You know, there's bits and pieces here and there across the internet. It may it may happen. It may there may come a day for one reason or another that the stuff can be released. And that when that day comes it will be. I mean there's the only reason it's not is out of respect of uh, the original owner. But so I, I know what I saw was badass shit. From there. You know, she could move from there, and once she moves from there, it's over. She would have no say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so true. she would sell the property yeah. and give it up. We could do whatever we want with all that. I mean, I could do it anyway, but wouldn't have to worry about pissing her off, you know? So who knows? There's many things that could happen. It's there. It's just a matter of because because I've dude I that piece of um, uh, thermal footage I've had networks offer five six thousand dollars for that little piece of footage, and you know I could have easily just gave it up. But you know, well, let me ask you something about this. I mean, I mean, this is definitely pertinent to the case and everything. So if you don't mind, talk about equipment for a couple minutes. Um, Sure. I don't know a lot about thermal imaging, but I, I think I have a good enough understanding of it that that's pretty hard to fake that shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially I mean, if, if it's real thermal we footage, you can't fake it. Yeah. No. You you can use uh, – okay, you could film something, and then after the fact, you could put a filter on it to make it sure. look like thermal footage. But an expert who could analyze that could flat out tell you it's not thermal footage. Um, exactly. That's, real, that was my thought. Thir- and, and also the situations we were in, um, with the exception of the attic, the camera was sitting still. And, and I, if I remember correctly, I placed it on a – there was a ladder up there. I placed it about halfway up the ladder so it would get kind of like a human perspective, you know, across the room. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that sat still. But out in the field, when we were in the woods and all that, I was using a gun version, you know, the kind you hold in your hand. So it's moving. That would be a lot harder to fake because of the I would think so. motion, you know. Anything else, you, you, could, you could probably get away with faking. But, again, you have to take the location into consideration. And, and like I said, with all the personal experiences, you just got to take that person's word for it. But when you couple it with the thermal footage and audio and other things that we got, you're like, okay, there may be some 
you know, a, a good backbone to this, you know. But mm-hmm. you're talking about a place that I've emphasized now three times had no power and no water. So when you do get an EMF read, that says a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're out sure, in the sure. middle of the woods of this abandoned property and you're getting 180 on the goss level, that's impossible without something man-made making that happen or something supernatural. Oh, exactly. So, you know, Which leads me to my, my next house. question. On, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, um, just the same thing to the house. People could say, oh, it's the old wiring. Well, if there's no power to it, buddy, it's not the old wiring. <laughs> you know? Sure. But, which leads me to my, my second question on equipment, and I'll, I'll let Terry get back into the meat and taters. Um, you know, there's a lot of new stuff being used right now. And, and, you know, being a guy who's, you know, certainly a well-respected person in the paranormal community and, and your knowledge is beyond repute, um, you see a lot of new stuff being used on the uh, the shows these days. Uh, the two I wanted to ask you about, I'll, I'll, I'll ask about it, and you can, you can go ahead and say what you got to say. Uh, one is the, uh, what is it, the Connect thing that shows little stick figures? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and these new uh, portals, uh, mainly one by used by a guy. We'll just call him Steve Buff. <laughs> you know, it uses all these apps. It's a little, you know, it's a little portable guitar amplifier with a couple of guitar effects attached to it to make spooky, echoey sounds. Yeah. And um, what are your thoughts on those things, bro? Well, first off, I'll come at it from a couple of different directions. From a television standpoint, these things are being done because it's different and it makes it look interesting. What's going to set my show <laughs> right? What's going to set my show apart from everybody else? Oh, this piece of equipment that no one else is using. People are going to flock to my show to see it being used. That's why it's being done on television. That's all I'm going to say about that. But as okay. far as new equipment being developed, I'm all for it. I do it myself. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, and as silly as it's going to sound, there isn't anything you can't use as a piece of equipment. I mean, how how Neanderthal was it back in the day when you would set a flashlight down and ask the spirit to make that thing flash? You're using a flashlight as a tool for paranormal research. It would be no different than... Okay, let me grab this uh, PSP or this Game Boy, okay, this, this toy, video game system. Let me set it here. Can you turn that on? And they turn it on. You just use that, and it would be unexplainable. You would have it on film that something just turned that Game Boy on. Okay, sure. that could be used as a tool. You know, I can always go back to, and what I've focused on the most is visual. I want to see in every way I can possibly see. I want to see in night vision. I want to see in thermal. I want to see the 720 nanometer light spectrum. I want to see all these things because people tend to forget. Lighting, color, everything has an effect on what you see. And when a client gets a hold of you or somebody tells you their ghost story, it's all about what they saw and they didn't see it with some expensive piece of equipment. They saw it with their own two eyes. Now, people may argue and say, well, you need to be able to measure this and measure that, and that's true. I think people are taking it too far sometimes because you really only need the basics. 
Okay, yeah, I need something to tell me, okay, let me log this room that I'm in. It's 74 degrees. If it all of a sudden drops to 50 I need some, and I feel cold, I need something to show that, oh, yeah, it's 50 degrees. You know, EMF tester, same difference. You know, you're going to use that mostly to debunk. You know, if somebody, they might be uh, hallucinating because they're exposed to too many electromagnetic fields. But, again, when you're out in the middle of the woods, and all of a sudden you get an electromagnetic field, that is paranormal by every definition, and you need that device to show that, you know. So you yeah. can take anything, a guitar amp, anything. You know, they used to use old TVs and just put them on the white noise and try to get, get um, entities to communicate through the white noise by making images. Oh, my. First thing I you used know? to record EVPs was an old telefunk and portable reel-to-reel recorder from the, the early 60s, you know? Yeah. I'd load it up with batteries and carry out to cemeteries with me. Actually, the, some of the best stuff I ever got was on analog. I don't, I don't know if that means anything or not, but, you know. It, you know, it, it's, you can take it to, it, it's, again, you got to separate it. Okay, what are we doing for TV, and then what are, what are we actually going to do here in reality? <laughs> sure. You know, yes, yeah. yes, those night vision goggles look awesome. Yes, you look like you're right out of Splinter Cell, dude. That's going to look awesome on TV. (laughs) But is it any different? You know what I mean? Is it any different than using anything else in real life? You know, I've always kept it to the basics, and I just tweak the basics. You know, I think sound... And vision, you know, your 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 audible stuff and your vision stuff are what's most important. Um, when you, when you sure. talk about measuring things, that's only going to take you so far, because we're we are literally using man-made science to try to explain something that science can't prove. Or you know, explain. so <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, we know all of us right now on this show know that there's something else we have all seen these things we we weren't drugged up we haven't lost our minds you know we know this stuff exists we don't have the proper science yet to actually say here it is right here in this bottle i have got this spirit now i'm going to show it to you and this proves it you know so I, i think there's a lot of unnecessary focus on the equipment and the shows are more or less to blame for that because then it becomes a commercial thing. Well, well I got to have what he's got. I mean, look yeah. at how hot K2s became. Everybody had to get a K2. Ooh, they're pretty. They light up. You know? Oh, oh my gosh, that was. And how long did it take people to figure out their walkie-talkies were making them go off? You know? Yeah. And people want the simplest thing that looks the coolest. And leads them to believe that they caught something paranormal, and that's why people grabbed onto that K two so much. Because uh, it was any I little frequency a, would set it off. I always use a tripod you know? myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I trust it. Uh, uh, so, Mister Lancaster, sir, going going back to the to the case real quick. Um, was this the one you told me about a long time ago on air about? Uh, there's something under a table that you couldn't determine what the hell it was, and when you sketched it out, you had this uh, weird thermal footage of it, like, mimicking your – as you spoke or something like that. Was that this case? Yes. 
Yes, let me let me tell you about that night. <clears throat> that that's a cool piece of footage too. Um, earlier that day, Tina was she was surveying the house. She was inside the house during the day, you know, because you investigate at all times, all times of the year, all times of the day. And she came across mm-hmm. underneath this table in the dusk what looked like some sort of track, like you know, like a like you would see a footprint. But it was of something mm. that didn't exist. <laughs> I mean, it really looked like something out of a horror movie, like this three-pronged, kind of like a giant chicken, maybe, okay? Just kind of picture <laughs> that. And, uh, of course, we got pictures of it and all that stuff. The night that I took the dive down the steps, okay, what happened that night is one of our investigators went in there. We're all outside at the campfire. And what we would do is we would go in in 30-minute rotations, two of us. At a time. And we would stay active on the radio if you needed backup, that kind of thing. And uh, one of the investigators went in there for one reason or another to, to grab something. She left or whatever. She comes – and as she's coming out, she hears somebody from upstairs say my name. And they said it in one of our investigators' names, in voices, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier with this thing mimicking us. It sounded mm. just like James, Okay. So she comes out and she tells me, somebody said your name. I was like, well, maybe that's a sign for me to go in there. Uh, this could open up communication. We, we could be moving forward here. So I go in there, and I start coming up the steps, get to the first landing, and I start coming up to where I'm about to be on the second floor. And that's when I feel this uh, energy. And I describe it like taking two magnets of opposite polarity, and you try to put them together, that resistance that you feel. That's yeah. how I felt. What, what hit my cheek and it caught me off guard and I fell down onto that first landing, you know, with a few choice words behind that. And <laughs> as soon as I hit that landing, there is a low guttural growl, like this animalistic growl. Okay. Now I'll admit, I kind of panicked at that point. <laughs> okay. Like, okay. <laughs> something's about to go down. You know what I mean? I immediately get now prior to that, Alan had a seizure at the campfire, destroyed the chair he was in. He was convulsing so bad. So he's down and out. Okay, he's out. There's no calling him. All right? Yeah. So I call another investigator. He comes in with me, tell him what happened. He points out that I've got three slashes across my cheek where I was struck, really razor-sharp marks. And it goes back to the three, you know, the images of three, the knocks of three, the whole demonic yeah. thing you were talking about earlier, Kevin. So yeah. him and I, we, we get to the top of the step that I never made it to before, and we round the corner. And when you come around the corner, there's that table where that footprint was. And I'm shooting in night vision. And I shine the camera over there. Now, I'm looking at my investigator, but my camera's kind of facing that way towards that table. So this is going on, and we don't even know it. When I went back to review it, underneath that table was this creature, this – I can't even say a dog, but it was on all fours, you know what I mean? But had your stereotypical just monster-looking baby, Baby Freddy from Elm Street. (laughs) (laughs) When when I was speaking to my investigator on the camera – its mouth moved at the same time I was talking. So it's like it was either learning my mannerisms or learning how I talked 
but it was moving in sync with my words. And that thing was there the entire time. And, of course, you have the sketch you talk about. You know, we had one of the investigators sketch it out based off of that. So I took a screenshot of it, and that's what we went with. But that went back to out into the woods and the, the plantation fields and all that, these guys opening fire on things that look just like this and not hitting anything. So here we ha- this was a wake-up call for all of us that what we were dealing with was something that we have never dealt with before. Not only could it mimic people, be people, do people things, but it could also be animalistic. It could growl. It could look like a monster. It could think it really do whatever the hell it wanted. You know, you mentioned the, the whole demon thing got thrown out. You know, is it a demon? You know, is it this? Is it that? I still to this day don't know what it was. Without saying the D word, you said that you know Alan had the seizure. He got taken out before that happened. And that all that stuff. Does it in your head? Do you ever think that it was that day? It was taking steps, playing chess, making its moves to try and get you, kind of thing. Like take out your muscle, Alan, and then trick you into coming That's upstairs. That's exactly what and... we thought. That that was the very first thing we all thought. Take out okay. all the guys. That's what we thought initially. May have been the case. May not have been. May just all of us being in the wrong place at the right time. However you want to look at it. You know, yeah. Alan is prone to seizures. You know, his condition, he True. can have seizures. He does. I've, I've living with the guy, growing up with the guy, I've seen him, you know. Um, but to say the paranormal caused it, maybe. But he also has that health condition. So you kind of got to touch that one with a grain of salt, you know. True. But it, at the way everything happened, you look at all the ingredients that made that night and made all that stuff. You know, you kind of think about it then, like, well, Alan got taken out. Another guy gets thrown up against the wall. I get thrown down the steps. You know, the thermal stuff. You know, maybe this was all related, you know. And and you look at it, like, how can something like this exist? Well, you're talking about an 80-some acre former plantation that up until, you know, that time was empty. And rotting, and nobody could trespass on it. There's something, you know, and, and there used to be um, slave quarters on it, and we even talked about voodoo. You know, maybe there was some kind of voodoo practice done here. You know, we were never out of ideas or theories, and that case opened our minds, especially mine, because, you know, I'm pretty much a stickler for, hey, you got to prove it to me, you know. <laughs> Don't be giving me that yeah, yeah. Navajo mamba jamba, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it well, you're, you're kind of a science guy like me, and and that's that's what made the team so good is everybody had their own way of tackling things, and we would all come together in the end, and, and one would work, one wouldn't, and, and but in the end, it was about showing it that 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 was what we were about was showing it and saying, hey, here, look, this is the reality. Take it for what you want. Say it's fake. Say it's bogus. Say it's a hoax. Whatever. Here it is, you know, but that that case in particular, like I said, it was we all knew what we were getting into. We all knew the sacrifices we were making, and we all knew the impact it was going to have, but we did it anyway. And I, I don't think any of us would take it back. I, I don't think if we could go back, we would say, nope, you know what, let's not, because that was the experience of a lifetime. 
And, and oh, again, it, it gave us footage that still to this day is to be rivaled anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? So it well, was some of the most incredible stuff I've ever seen. Yeah. I never seen it. I want to see it, but but uh, to, to wrap well, everything. Stephen don't love you as much it. as he does me, Terry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm prettier up, than you are. Um, <laughs> hey, if I, you know what? If I end up sending it to Terry, if I end up sending it to Terry, he'd be one step closer to to gladness. Man, I'd be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> And Malone, even covered in all the shit I'm covered in right now, I'm still sexier than your fat, ugly old ass. So anyway, moving on. Well, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Guns N' Roses did do an album about illusions, so use them. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you are, but anyway, um, to wrap it up, man. Always. You've got you went to the, you've done this case. You've had all this shit happen at the case, after the case. Things are good now. Would you ever go back if offered the opportunity? In a heartbeat. Check it out again. In a heartbeat. Yeah? Uh, me, me I knew Christina, you'd say that, brother. We, we've <laughs> talked about it. I mean, if that opportunity ever came up again, we'd we'd be there, guns a blazing. I mean, it's you got you got to take me though if you ever go back. <laughs> I got to be there, bro. And you never know. We'll that, face, that's we'll kind, face kind the darkness like, together. You know, kind of like I've used the, the um. Oh God. Kind of like I've used the Brentwood. You know, I've used the Brentwood to teach other people that, hey, you have to continue researching these places because it can change. It can evolve. You know, we're going on uh, – when we released the documentary on the Brentwood, that was 10 years worth of research on yeah. the Brentwood. You know, and it's changed. It's developed. It's uh, grown. And the same thing could happen with the plantation. You know, if, let's just say, we got a chance to go back, we may go back there and there may be nothing. It may be gone. You know, or it may hmm. be worse. You know, you just yeah, you don't know. know. But True. doesn't that worry you at all? That it not not like the experiencing the stuff you're, you're investigating. That's what you do, and that's what you want to see. But the after effect of what happened to everybody, you don't worry about that happening again if you were to go back. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, but the the um, disturbing part of me would want that hmm. because that's that's when we we got the best stuff. That's when we captured the best things when it was at its apex. You know, not when it was being subtle, throwing marbles down the steps at us like a little boy or something. When it was full mm. on, that's when we got the best stuff, and that's exactly what we would want again. You know, it, and maybe even a step further to see what else could be had. You know, right on. But it goes, and, and you know, people have asked, you know, well, what if this happens to somebody? You know, what if somebody buys that property? Dude, ain't nobody gonna last. Okay, for it to even get to that point, we were there for a very long time before it got to that point. I think the first couple of things it would do, and those people be gone. You yeah. know, not everybody's like us. You know what I mean? Not yeah. everybody runs right at it. They kind of run the other way. Like those what guys on TV, they run the other way. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> would it would it piss you off if someone like Zach ended up getting to go in there and do it on TV? It, well, the opportunity has been there. Um, it would be at first, it would probably be irritating, like how dare they? But at, at the same time, it would probably it would almost be um, 
this is a devious me thinking, you know, it'd be like, yeah, okay, go for it. You know, go for Fun it when because it eats you're, you're going to tell you're going to tell me that yeah. one night that you're going to spend in there. You know, that that one night you're going to spend in there, you're not going to get what we got, and you can't have what we got. So you're going to go in there, and for what? You know, again, it goes back Fake to this it. stuff doesn't happen in one night. It just doesn't happen yeah. in one night. So for I don't think there will ever be a day where there'll be a team or an investigator. You go into that place and be able to tell the stories and show the stuff that we can. Well, you can Not always really make it, allegedly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can. Before we wrap Not saying up, anyone does, but. <laughs> Before you wrap up, do you want to shout out your uh, your books and your upcoming show on uh, One Step Closer to Madness? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to be doing – I'm going back to podcasting doing a show called Phenomenology. Um, it's going to be a little different than my older paranormal shows. Yeah, I'll talk about cases and stuff. But I, I'm really, the goal with this one is I'm wanting to make it a, hmm, that's a good point. One of those shows hmm. where I pick a topic and I talk about it, and it's something that you've never heard before. It's, it's a perspective you've never heard before. I want this show to make people think. Um, good deal. Aside from that, uh, I've got a new book that, that right now I'm, I'm still writing the uh, the Norman train, the Norman, the first Norman book that came out two years ago or last year. Um, that thing's still going big. I'm still doing radio shows on that doll. Um, the second book on that doll, it comes out probably this time next year. Um, I also have another book called The Haunts and Haints of North Carolina, which will have the plantation in it pretty much a, a regurgitated nice. version of everything I said today on your show. Um, it'll be in there. And it's just basically things, investigations that took place in North Carolina only. Um, nice. It's a publisher that, that that's kind of what they do. They, they focus on an area. And that, so that's why I'm doing this book. Um, but that's what's on the, the radar, radar for now. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming on. And you got anything else, Mr. Uh, Malone? Well, I just wanted to, to also thank my brother Stephen for for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to him and interview him because he's always got such cool shit to talk about. And uh, glad to have him on the network now. Welcome, brother. Uh, yeah, thank new you. Network. It's gonna be weird. We're gonna rock this talking shit. To We're gonna be good. <laughs> In my show, I'm gonna be sitting there talking to myself. At least with you guys, I got you guys to bounce stuff it's, off of. As long as you don't answer yourself. That's what they always say. You, you know, talk to yourself, it's yeah. cool, but when you answer yourself, it's bad. <laughs> you maybe, maybe I need to add like a uh, maybe I need to add like a laugh track or some clapping or something. Oh, God, no. I, yeah. <laughs> like Sanford the, and Son on One Step Closer to Madness, right? <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> we can always get the old Hulk music back for you, Kevin. Don't worry. You ever do that again? I will be making a trip to Canada, dude. I'm telling you now. Uh, well, thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook.com/slash One Step Closer to Madness and on Instagram under the same name and uh, Twitter Madness Network One. So, uh, Stephen, thanks again, man. Can't Tweet wait to hear the new show. And yeah, thank you, guys. Mr. And Mr. Malone, we know you'll be back with School of Rock soon. Yes, and I got a new show coming. Maybe. <laughs> no, ain't no maybe. I'll go do it by myself. It's important. What's the new show? 
The new show is What's called the new, the new Revolution. The New Revolution. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, that's right. You yeah, and it ain't that. about taking up guns against people. It's about a new revolution of doing things with intelligence and peace and love and harmony. Yeah, right. And I'll be playing and lots of Grateful it. Dead music. <laughs> yeah, and I host it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk It'll to be you good, later. Kids. later. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Night, kids. kids. Later.